Hello, I guess it's never good when you hear my voice before the show starts, but uh, I have a little crackle on my track. I'm sorry about that, I hope. You guys can still enjoy the podcast, which will start now. Hello all and welcome to episode 195 of the Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko as always and I'm joined by two really great guys for this episode. Once again here, Mr. Lars Polman. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm pretty good, how are you? I'm doing fine myself, thank you. And also here Matthias Suk once again. Hey Matthias, how are you? Hi Stefan, I'm doing well, thank you. Well, that is very good uh, because we have, I guess, a jam-packed episode for you guys. Uh, I guess in the first part we will talk about uh, yeah all things Usman Dembele since uh, we didn't quite anticipate that he would go on strike the last time we recorded our show where we asked the question whether to sell him or to keep him. And uh, we'll also have a little bit of transfer news to discuss or upcoming transfer news depending on when the show will be released and how... Yeah, Dortmund released the news and uh, yeah, then of course the Bundesliga is around the corner. Dortmund's first match is in Wolfsburg and we have a special guest for that in an extra segment where I've talked to uh, André Vogt, a Wolfsburg supporter and uh, some may know him of uh, his basketball podcast. And then of course we also have to preview the Wolfsburg match from the Dortmund perspective and then give a little outlook on the Bundesliga I guess in general and uh, yeah little disclaimer and Lars had to remind me <laughs> that we uh, don't uh, really review the cup match that Dortmund won for the nothing against FC Rielersingen Aalen so um, yeah I guess we can go right ahead to Usman Dembele and I will talk to you Mr. Lars first because you haven't been on the last time we uh, discussed the entire Dembele segment and uh Yeah, just tell us your two cents on the strike. <laughs> How do you perceive that notion by Dembele to do it? And uh, yeah, in what kind of situation that puts Dortmund in? I'm certainly surprised he's going thermonuclear so early in the process. I mean, uh, from Dortmund's official statement to the stock market, they, we know that there have been talks and a first offer which Dortmund have obviously uh, refused of Barcelona's and you know typically in these negotiations take a few days or weeks and and with these high profile transfers more often than not they come about but with Dembele going on strike or however you want to call him not showing up to team training and not talking to anyone of the club uh, for the last uh, week or so um, or I think Kicker says it's nine days since there has been contact between the club and Dembele personally. Well, I mean, he has talked to Peter Bosch on Wednesday, so it can't be more than eight right now. Whatever the case may be, 
uh, I, I'm certainly surprised he's going with uh, almost the ultima ratio um, of, you know, not doing his job anymore. Uh, I don't think he's doing himself many favors uh, because we have to uh, at least take into consideration the possibility that the transfer doesn't work out because Dortmund uh, are standing quite firm at the moment. At least they want to see Barca pay up uh, and you know we don't really know how that's going to plan out. So there's a decent enough chance uh, Usman Dembele is still a Dortmund player come September second, uh, since the Spanish transfer window is open a day longer than the German, English, French, Italian, uh, and host of other European nations transfer windows are. So if he's still a member of Borussia Dortmund on September second, uh, not coming to training and not being available even for normal contact with club officials, but also with teammates who obviously uh, have taken a liking to him over the last year and are now, uh, as, for example, Papa Socrates has mentioned in an interview with Kicker, quite disappointed with uh, his behavior. I think he's not really doing himself any favors right now. So um, I think... Right now, he's the one who really needs this transfer to happen because he's got a lot of explaining to do if it doesn't. So uh, ultimately, I think uh, Barca will pay up for Dembele. However, um, that's constructed, whether it's the 100 million plus 50 in bonus or 120 plus 30 or whatever. I think at the end of the day, uh, all parties involved probably know a transfer would be best at this stage. So... Ultimately, I think Usman Dembele is going to go to Barca, but I don't know exactly how long that will take. So certainly an interesting, but at the same time, very annoying saga. Yeah, that's I mean, going on. Peter Bosch today at the press conference said how calm everything is at the club. <laughs> I'm not really sure about that. No, 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 no. He said he said within the club. I think uh, you have to make that distinction because obviously it isn't all calm around the club but I think he meant that there's no discord between him and the other decision makers and they aren't in any kind of threat because at the end of the day they hold all the cards they have all transfer rights for Usman Dembele and if they don't agree to a transfer he's he's coming back to work at some point in September I would believe because he's not going to end his career as a football player because one transfer move doesn't pan out so yeah I assume the same, Matthias. Uh, what's your on, what's your take on the entire situation? And uh, I don't know which newspaper brought it up, but uh, Didier Deschamps has to uh, nominate a French national team by August twenty fourth, so in one week. And uh, if you were Deschamps, would you nominate Dembele? And on the on the yeah flip side, how bad can this entire situation actually? get for Dembele going forward? Well, I think for now, uh, Deschamps, whether he does or doesn't uh, nominate him, I'm not sure. I mean, it's not like he's missed a month of important fixtures. Uh, he missed one cup match. You may miss one or two matches in between. But uh, I, to me, my, I guess my biggest question mark behind this is is it is this something that Dembele just decided to do is this something that people around him are telling him to do because he's still really really young uh, he's acting his age that's for sure he's acting like a petulant child um, he's just throwing his toys out and saying well I, I'm not getting what I want 
and not really understanding the reality of the fact of being a professional. He's under contract. He has an obligation to fulfill that contract. Dortmund do not have an obligation to sell him to Barcelona. That is a fact. Um, if he chooses to continue to not play and act in this manner, I don't see Deschamps picking him. I see Barcelona potentially getting turned off by this over time because it just drags out. It makes them look bad, even worse. It definitely makes him look bad. His value will drop. His salary will drop over time as he's seen as a problematic player, uh, which he kind of little bit already had that reputation coming to Dortmund. So I, I mean, I said, I'd like to, I would take the money and go last week. But that was before he acted this way. Now my opinion is more like, let him sit. Fine. Let him sit. He'll come crawling back and show some strength. Uh, and it's not, I don't think it's a coincidence that Coutinho, another Barcelona transfer target, is acting in pretty much the exact same way um, at Liverpool. So, you know, there had been reports out that maybe Barcelona... They didn't tell them to go on strike, but maybe told them to put the clubs under pressure. And this is the only way that they figured they could do it. So uh, I would like to see Dortmund and uh, with Coutinho Liverpool just stand firm and tell Barcelona and the players to take a flying leap at this point. Yeah, that's a very uh, interesting side, I guess, to to view this not only from the Usman Dembele side, but also from the Dortmund side. Um, Lars, how do you see Dembele being reintegrated into Dortmund uh, yeah, if he has to stay? Do you think that will be quite problematic? And how do you expect the fans to react when he uh, yeah turns up in front of the yellow wall again after all this saga? Do you think it would be uh, like Hummels-esque booing when uh, it was announced that he would join Bayern? Or how do you anticipate the fans reactions in case he stays on in place again for Dortmund yeah I think the Hummels blueprint is a fair expectation uh, I don't think it's going to be you know crazy hostile in, in terms of he, he can't uh, you know uh, warm up in front of the the yellow wall or whatever I think at, at the end of the day they recognize Uh, players in in those yellow shirts they they are to be supported in some way or some players not necessarily supported but uh you know you don't really try to get them to play badly for your team so um the the more interesting part to of the question to me is how how his teammates will react to him uh, crawling back as Matthias said or, or you know him coming back to the team uh, in whatever the capacity that is seeing as he's not only uh, abandoned the, the club, but also his teammates. Um, I mean, nobody cares about uh, him missing a cup match uh, against a, sex, a sixth division side, but him not showing up for training for now a full week, not being available for selection in the Bundesliga because he's trying to force a move uh, at age 20, one year into a five-year contract at Dortmund. I think that many players will take that not overly kindly, especially those who've who have a, a longer history with Dortmund, the Schmelzers, the Shahins, uh, the Subotiches. Uh, on the other hand, I think a player like Aubameyang, uh, he probably doesn't really care as long as uh, he still 
can have jokes with Dembele and they, uh, and Dembele assists uh, 10 or 12 of Aubameyang's goals every year. I don't think that he really minds, you know, some childish uh, behavior off the field. So for me, really, the question is how uh, he, he can be reintegrated into the squad more so than into the club. Yeah, if I if I may read out uh, one uh, quote of Socrates' interview at Kicker, uh, he said, Usman has given us a lot. He's a player who can make the difference. We need those players, but we also need players who don't exclude themselves and want to be a part of the family. It appears Usman does not want that. So I guess that also indicates what you just said, that uh, yeah, players uh, may have may hold a, crud, a grudge against Dembele. Maybe not every player, but some certainly. And the question is, Matthias, um, if Dortmund you know, don't fare too well in their first two games against Wolfsburg and Hertha and, you know, players think, well, maybe with Usman on the field playing at his full capacity or whatever, we could have taken all three points. And I mean, this not only in, you know, if, if that that's a train of thought the players have, you know, it basically would mean that uh, he risks the uh, entire future of every player in, in the sense that, uh, you know, Obviously, you want to have the most success in your own career, and uh, you know someone someone else in this case is ruining ruining it for you with that stupid idea or behavior. Well, it, okay, Usman Dembele is a very very good player, but I think if people would think along those lines, it's completely overvaluing him and undervaluing everybody else. In my opinion, if Dortmund don't get off to a good start, it has nothing to do with Dembele or any attacking players. It purely, in my opinion, will come down to fullbacks. <laughs> yeah, this will be um, another that, half hour I mean, on this podcast later. That's yeah. I mean that 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 will be more the reason for that than anything else. Honestly, probably the most replaceable player is a wide attacking player for Dortmund because we have multiple options in that area that can play very, very well. Not everybody can play to Dembele's level, obviously, um, but can play very, very well uh, or at least fill fill the role. I think if you lose a key player centrally, that's more of an issue. If center backs start dropping, that's an issue. If Bjorki goes down, that's a big problem. And obviously we have a problem at fullbacks right now due to injuries. So I don't think, I would hope that no player would think that because, again, it, in my opinion, completely overvalues what Dembele brings. Well, I certainly agree with that notion. But, you know, I, I don't I'm I don't know if players see it the same way. Of course, again, I'm, I'm just speculating here. Um, Lars, is there any um, sort of, let's say, punishment or any consequences you uh, want to see for Dembele from, let's say, UEFA or FIFA level? Uh, you know, in I don't know, to put him in his place with that behavior. I don't know that UEFA or FIFA have any kind of authority uh, in this case. I think Dortmund are going to fine him, which... A standard operating procedure for players uh, missing training without excuse, and you know that's going to be it. I don't, I don't really know how uh, a governing body could uh, interfere with uh, the player club relations in that way. I don't know. I've, I've read people demanding, uh, yeah, a transfer ban 
and whatnot. Um, I don't I don't know how possible this are, but hypothetically, is that something you would uh, agree to, or do you think that would also punish the club if they actually want to sell the player? Yeah, I was just about to say I don't think Dortmund want uh, a transfer burn, uh, ban uh, specifically for Dembele because I'm pretty sure they're they're quite open to Barcelona's second official offer at this point because as we talked about reintegrating him into the squad will be difficult and it, if if he stays this season I I think we can uh, certainly assume that he's off next year so uh, and and we don't know how his market value will. Uh, develop over a year in which you know he's not everybody's darling inside the stadium and the uh, and the locker room so uh, a transfer ban would be the worst for all parties involved and and as i said before i don't i don't really understand the the thinking that a governing body should be able to interfere in player club relations uh, in that way so for me i think this is something uh, the club can handle and I think so far has handled pretty well. Uh, could have been a lot worse. So, uh, whatever punishment Dembélé gets from the club is just, and and the rest, I don't know. That's probably the fantasy of some uh, wannabe hardliner fans. Yeah, I guess. Um, I think that uh, there's a good point to be made about uh, Dortmund probably not going to get. 130 or 150 million for Dembele come next year because uh, yeah a there's I don't I, I mean I can't foresee it but I just assume that there won't be such a big payday for Real Madrid or Barcelona as there was this season and that there's so much cash to splash. Also, as you just said, Dembele will have trouble reintegrating into this team. He won't be everyone's darling and uh, I don't know if his head will be fully in the game or whether he's already thinking of Barcelona and will have uh, the kind of season Toprak had <laughs> when he was thinking about Dortmund and Leverkusen or whatever. Now that would, that, That's just a little mean, but I'm trying to make an example. And also, your second year is usually always a little bit harder because opponents then really know who you are and give uh, way more attention to you. So, Matthias... Realistically speaking, how much do you expect Dortmund to earn on Dembele uh, next summer if they want to sell him then? Um, well, I mean, I'll just lump in the money they'd have to pay to Rennes as well. So I think if he goes next summer, obviously we don't know if there's going to be another crazy Neymar-esque transfer in the meantime. Uh, given his age, uh, depending on when one would do a transfer, when it would get booked, uh, I think next year he's probably, you know, somewhere in the 80 to 110 million would be my totally uneducated, pure wild ass guess at this point. All right. I also will ask last for his uh, completely wild uneducated guess at this point and then I guess we can move on yeah so uh, without the the drama this season um, had this been a normal transfer negotiation that didn't pan out I think his value would have gone up especially if uh, as I would expect he's going to be a, an important member of France's uh, World Cup squad I, I would have said next year he's maybe 160 to 180, uh, but um, 
I think uh, with the way it's gone to this point and, you know, uh, projecting how uh, the season would go if he is to stay with Dortmund, I think we're looking at more in the, you know, 100, 110 uh, region, as Matthias alluded to. All right. I guess we can wrap wrap up wrap up the discussion <laughs> because uh yeah there's not too much left to say and we really don't know what's uh yeah or when the transfer will happen i certainly find it a little bit amusing how uh, Watzke and Barca's president and sporting director are communicating right now and uh yeah there are some petty remarks in the press right now which you can all look up um in the meantime, Borussia Dortmund are yeah, selling Erik Durm to VfB Stuttgart, if reports are true, and I believe they are because literally everyone's reporting it today. And uh, yeah, there's also Jeremy Tolian incoming for a potential trade with Felix Passlack to Hoffenheim. So first, Lars, Erik Durm leaving Borussia Dortmund to Stuttgart. What are your feelings? Happy feelings. Um, I think Dom had some value uh, clearly uh, as a squad member. Tuchel used him a lot, in especially in, in important games as a right wing back. He's got great athleticism, uh, decent guy in the locker room, doesn't earn a lot of uh, money uh, wage-wise, but he's A, he's not reliable because of injury history. Uh, I'm... I'm actually quite curious to see how uh, his medical will go because he's not been available uh, for much of preseason so I'm not exactly sure how uh, his medical with Stuttgart will go not that we will uh, learn of any specifics there but uh, I mean there's a teeny tiny chance I believe that he doesn't pass his medical um, and and then Outside of his uh, lack of reliability, injury-wise, he's just not very good, uh, you know, technically. And you you always mention the trampoline-like first touch. Um, he's not a dribbler. He doesn't really have creative passing. So the only thing he really does well is run. And, you know, at some point, uh, that's not good enough for a club of Dortmund size. And uh, talking about all those three, which seem intertwined uh, all three potential transfers at the fullback spots. I, I certainly like the fact that Dortmund have seemingly identified, especially right back, I would say, as the weakest position on the roster, even going by right now and also looking in the future because you have uh, Piszczek's rather rapidly de uh, declining physically, uh, I don't think he can play more than 25 to 30 games a season at a high level. So you need a good backup there. And then you had Dorm and Paslak uh, going into this season. Dorm's, as I said, not often available. And Paslak, in my opinion, the most disappointing player in preseason and not really developing uh, much at all over the last 12 months or so. So certainly... Uh, in my op opinion, the weakest position on the roster. So I, I like the fact that they are going out and getting a new guy in. Now, I'm not overly crazy about Tolian, but uh, he's certainly a better alternative than uh, Paslak and Dom. Yeah, he's a little bit further in his development. Um, Matthias, your two cents on Dom and Paslak most likely leaving and Tolian coming in? 
Uh, I'm okay all around. Uh, Tolyan, okay, Duom, you guys already said everything. Uh, horrible first touch, but very fast. Good for him. Uh, Paslak, you know, there was a lot of hope. He just never, his development stagnated. He, he's just chaotic when he comes onto the pitch. He's, it's almost like he's trying too hard all the time to impress and make stupid mistakes because of it. Obviously in the Super Cup, that sh- uh, shoulder charge into Kimmich was one of those unnecessary, reckless, chaotic moves. Uh, Tolian is a little more refined than either one of those players. He's technically better than both of those players. Um, yeah, you're losing two, gaining one, which, you know, <laughs> mathematically isn't great, but I, he's, he's okay. I'd say he's a minor upgrade over what we have, but I think we've already talked about this. There just isn't a great market right now for good right backs. So Tolian, probably one of the best ones in there that already plays in a system and under a very technically, uh, advanced coach, uh, with Nagelsmann so he can play in another, technically and tactically um, advanced system under Bosch. He understands the Bundesliga, obviously, uh, speaks German, all that kind of stuff. So it's an easier transition than if you would have brought someone in from France or Spain or Italy or somewhere somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah. he made about 20 appearances last season or 21 or so, played uh, yeah, often in a right midfield or left, yeah, on the on a fullback or I would say left left wing or right wing positions and uh yeah also once in central defense probably wasn't the back three I don't know but uh yeah he's a very versatile kid and uh, he was very impressive at the uh, under 21 euros for Germany however I would put a little asterisk in there because I think he little he overperformed in on that tournament and looked a little bit better than he actually is um, yeah, I don't know if he's too intelligent on the field, but uh, no, especially attacking wise, I, I think he, yeah, he can actually do something for Dortmund because honestly, Lukas Piszczek hasn't produced much over the last seasons in assists and whatnot. Also, of course, due to the fact that Tuchel often deployed him, uh, uh, deployed him as a third. Yeah, center back on the on the right position and didn't really had him advance, but uh, yeah, overall I I think and I've written it and said it more often than not that that Pischek is running out of steam, and that yeah some backup is is uh, very needed. So I like Lars welcome that transfer too, but uh, yeah I'm I'm not too psyched yet. I feel like Toyan is a good addition, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's the uh, big solution for the future or whether Dortmund will, yeah, sign a new right back from a more prominent position or whatever or club next summer or so. I don't know. We, we'll have to see, but uh, it's good, as Lars mentioned, that it's uh, a position that the club has identified as something uh, they need to reinforce. And yeah, going forward, it's also helpful that he can play on a left back position because. I feel like Marcel Schmelzer with time and age is becoming more and more prone to hamstring injuries and uh, Borussia Dortmund are not really well equipped when uh, Schmelzer is out 
which he will be against Wolfsburg also. And uh, Matthias, unless you want to say anything on, on the fullback situation, I guess we can uh, move over to the interview with André Vogt. Well, let's hear from Mr. Vogt. And welcome to uh, this little yeah segment where we have to preview the VfL Wolfsburg match from the Wolfsburg perspective. And for that, I've got Dre Vogt, founder of uh, German basketball magazine D5 and uh, host of one of the most uh, successful podcasts in Germany. Got next, correct me if I'm wrong, Dre. No, it's, it's, it's totally legit. But maybe, you know, we should say that one of the most um, important sports podcasts. I think they're, you know, for... General topics, I think there's uh, there are the podcasts who have much more listeners, but for sports, yeah, it's right up there. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's say sports, but uh, nevertheless, always up there in the in the iTunes rankings. And uh, yeah, if you're a German listener, give it a listen. Uh, if you care about basketball. Um, however, we are not here to talk about the process. <laughs> Although I kind of want to because uh, you know I sometimes am in Philadelphia and uh, this is the basketball team that oh, I chose. Okay. So, um, yeah, we have to talk about the process of fourth Wolfsburg now, of course, Dre, uh, as uh, you are f from Wolfsburg, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, born and bred. Yeah, so you had no other choice than to support your local team, which I always... Uh, encourage yeah i mean uh i mean maybe i should clarify i mean i was born in wolfsburg i actually moved back to wolfsburg uh 10 days ago from frankfurt <laughs> and i mean growing up um i think wolfsburg played in the fourth division third division i think and um since i played against the, the vfl um or back in the day but i still played soccer myself i kind of couldn't get myself to really you know put myself behind the club but uh, then i and then i chose cologne as a club as a, as a young a young man and um then i moved to cologne for my studies i studied at the sports university and i moved there the year that wolfsburg moved up and um then i kind of fell back in love with my with my hometown club and then ever since then you know there's there's been no looking back it's been a vfl all the way Well, that's good to hear. I don't, I don't know if all of my listeners will agree with me, but uh, I, I still think you should support your local team. And uh, in your case, that's Wolfsburg. Um, yeah, looking at Wolfsburg, they have been quite the underachievers in uh, recent seasons, uh, given their budget and, and whatnot. However, um, Dre, talk me through a little bit of last season. Why did they finish 16th? And uh, yeah, why will that change in this season now? Well, I think last year um, it all goes back um, to the summer. Maybe a lot of players wanting to leave the club and um, the club, you know, wouldn't let them leave. Um, and uh, I think that kind of led to an atmosphere in the team that just it wasn't suitable for the Bundesliga. I mean, not for, uh, I don't know, reaching Champions League or reaching even the, the Europa, Europa League. Um, and in the end, it just... It was like a snowball. I mean, we started slow into the season. You know, Julian Draxler wanted to go. They let him go. Um, yeah, he uh, later went on strike, didn't around he? Christmas, I think. Yeah. Yeah, tell us more yeah. about that and uh, what that can mean for a club. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, if it would have only been him, you know, I think you can always cope with one guy wanting to leave and, and not being content. But since there was Luis Gustavo wanted to leave, there were reports that Ricardo Rodriguez wanted to leave. There were reports that other people were, you know, like unhappy with their role on the team. And like I said, it just snowballed from there. And, and people didn't really, um, I think, identify with the team. And um, I, I think they just were hard pressed, you know, to, to find 11 guys who were just really, you know, putting it all, all out there on the pitch. And then all of a sudden, you know, it just didn't work. You know, they lost. Um, they kind of spiraled down and, and, and Dieter Hacking, the coach, was never able, you know, to kind of in, find the right combination. And then, then he was let go and they found a coach in Valerian Ismail who, you know, was not really able, um, I think, to coach a Bundesliga team. And, um, yeah. From that on, it went all the way down to the relegation where we just barely, although I think the relegation games themselves were pretty. Yeah, they look um, pretty comfortable, to be honest. Yeah, were, yeah, I mean, we didn't really, we didn't concede a goal. So, yeah, I mean, we just, we, we, we hung on in the end. Um, we stayed in the Bundesliga, but it was a season, you know, of, of strife, of, of people wanting to leave. And um, I think that's the main thing that has to change this year if you have people in there. Who want to stay with Wolfsburg and play for the Wolves, and uh, then I think you have to see what happens in the end. But um, nobody, I think, expects a relegation this year from Wolfsburg. Yeah, can you walk me through a little bit through uh, Wolfsburg's uh, signings this summer and uh, how they will, in your mind, hopefully improve the squad? Yeah, I think if you look at who they signed and, and the kind of players they wanted, I think um, Olaf Reber, um the new guy in charge, new manager of the team, I shouldn't say manager, the guy with the personnel decisions. I think he, on one hand, he, wa he wanted to get younger players like Heinz, uh, who they got from, from Arsenal, I think from, from their youth teams. I have Udo Kai, who came from 1860 Munich. On the other hand, They wanted to get experienced players um, who can obviously teach the young guys, who give stability to a team, you know, which was sorely lacking stability last year. And um, I'm not sure if if we're there yet. I don't think that. Oh, I think that they have maybe one or two more transfers to to make until the uh, the period ends there. But um, yeah, on one hand, younger guys uh, like like Heinz and uh, Urukai. Uh, on the other hand, experienced guys like Camacho and. I hope they, they, they found the right fit, but I mean, judging from the preparation games they played so far, even the cup game, uh, didn't look like, um, yeah, everything's meshing right now. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how the preseason went. Um, maybe also if there are any tactical shapes you see now come through under Andres Jonker, who, yeah, basically was the understudy to Louis van Gaal for a very long time. Um, if you think back to VfL Wolfsburg in recent years, uh, one thing always springs to mind, and that's wing play. Is that <coughs> still as, uh, is the focus still as heavy on wing play as it was in uh, last the last seasons? I mean, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, the cup game obviously was the kind of game where you can, I think, hardly take anything away as far as tactics are concerned because we played against a fourth league team, I think. And yeah, they were packing it in. Rubber. Yeah, I mean, they were packing it in and, and obviously you cannot really play vertically through the middle. Um, so there were a lot of, you know, balls coming in from, from the wings and... That is obviously a tactic which is not very efficient in football. I mean, you, obviously you can do it, and, even, and especially if you have a guy like Mario Gomez up front. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if there are, I don't know, eight or nine guys in the box and you try to put the ball in there, it, it kind of becomes um, a game of chance. And I don't think we should play this way this year. And I think if you look at the best years, uh, 
the VfL had. They were the years where they played um, attacking football, counter-attacking football, you know, um, really um, basically, you know, stood back and then conceded um, time of possession to to the opponents. But um, last couple of years, we just didn't do that. You know, we wanted to um, dominate possession ourselves and never really got anything, you know, we, we never really created lots of chances. And... Um, from what I've seen so far this summer, I think not a lot is going to change. And, and that, I think, is, is, is the wrong way to go. I think, especially with a younger team, you should, uh, you know, press. You should uh, try to, you know, get the ball early and then, you know, attack, counterattack. And I'm not sure if you're going to do it this year, but obviously preparation games, cup games against the lower competitions are maybe not the best games to judge how we're going to play next season. Yeah, I mean, going into match day one, there's more question marks, obviously, than, than answers, because, you know, we all wait for that overreaction Sunday, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, um, yeah, pressing issue, I would say, for Wolfsburg right now seems to be the central defense. John Anthony Brooks, I would say, your star signing, uh, came from Her Hertha Berlin, and is uh, definitely a center back that always troubled Dortmund uh, when playing for Hertha. And against Dortmund, he uh, is out for, I think, three months? Yeah, he, he tore his, uh, his tendon against Norderstedt in the cup game. It's a um, huge blow. Yeah, it's totally unfortunate. I mean, because I think I think Rebbe was planning of having him and, and, and Jeffrey Bruma, um, who was also hurt. You know, he had a, had a knee, I think it is a knee scope they even operated on um, late last season, missed, missed all of the relegation games and then months and weeks before. And he's not fit yet. So, I mean, now we have... Um, Knoche, who's back, and Urukai. Um, Urukai, I think, is 19 years old, so that's not ideal, uh, especially going into uh, game one against, against Dortmund. And um, yeah, I think one of the signings they, they will do, one of the transfers they will do, should be um, for a center back. Um, last year, we got Walshide, which was, well, an overreaction itself, I think. Uh, never really played, never really, you know, um, found his way with the team. So. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, this late in the summer, who they can find to to put in there. Um, but if they go into the season with Knoche and uh, and Urukai, and then there's one young guy who they they um, who came up from, I think the U19. It's it's going to be tough. I mean, not not, not only against Dortmund, but all the other teams, uh, all the other games that come you know, after that. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what what happens there in the center back position. Yeah, obviously. I, I guess with with that being probably the the weakness Dortmund should exploit. Uh, where do you see Wolfsburg's strengths actually? Especially, I don't know how much you've seen of Dortmund, but going up against Dortmund, where do you think uh, Wolfsburg can hurt them? <laughs> to be honest with you, I really don't know. I mean, I watched the Super Cup game uh, where Dortmund played Bayern. I mean, they look. I mean, obviously they didn't look like they were in mid-season form, but there was. Pretty good, pretty decent, I guess. I mean, it was much better than what I saw from the Wolves against Norderstedt. Um, so, I mean, you guys are really the heavy favorites, I think, in, in, in week one because, I mean, Wolfsburg's strength, I, I think, is still the midfield. We have lots of decent players there, but, um, I mean, you, you touched on the wings. We don't, or we haven't really found wing players who were, who are really, really good. I mean, you really, you know, got the speed. I mean, we got some guys with speed. Um, tap, um, Heinz, I think has lots of decent speed, but, uh, we don't really have the, the wing players who can, you know, go into the box. You know, I don't know. You just dribble around one guy, you know, pull another and then play, play, uh, making a decisive pass. I mean, we haven't, haven't had that, I think, in a couple of years now. Um, and in midfield, I mean, we have Jonas Mali who came late last year. 
but then was injured, you know, had trouble, you know, staying um, on, the, on the first 11. Um, Daniel Didavi, he's always hurt. He's, I think he's our best midfield player, but he's, he's been hurt on and off uh, last year. was hurt uh, for the game against Norrstedt. And I mean, it's, it's decent, but I think if you look at Dortmund and the guys who are, who are on the pitch for them, you know, I think, you know, Wolfsburg would be, uh, should be, you know, just falling back, you know, letting Dortmund attack and then see if you can counterattack because the talent level is just it's totally different with Dortmund. So, um, and this is not, not a reverse jinx, by the way. I, I really <laughs> feel this strongly. I, I think we have, we have no business to be in the same pitch with Dortmund the first couple of weeks this year and maybe even all season. Well, this, this wouldn't be a Dortmund podcast, though, if I wouldn't ask about Jakub Blaszczykowski and how he has fared so far, yeah. um, speaking of wingers. I mean, when they signed him last summer, I was, I was ecstatic. I was like, well, you know, he's a veteran. He's always given 100%. Um, I think he played pretty decent season before that. So, But then he came in. I think he was always – I mean, he, he wasn't badly hurt, but he had this, this little – I think a little injuries who slowed him down. And uh, he had to play um, – and defense as well, which is not really a strong suit. I think he was we playing back there. He never really got himself into a rhythm. Um, and then I think in the end, he, he kind of lost his starting job there. Um, I think he's still a high character player and I think he can still help us. But I think now he's what, like 30, 31, 32 years old. Right now he's starting and I think they need a guy like him, you know, to give stability. But uh, I'm not sure that he's going to have any huge impact this year because, like I said, he's he's 31, 32, and um, I mean yeah, he had he had one great um, shot on goal against Norderstedt. But I mean that I remember that that shot. Let me tell you everything you need to know about uh, Jakub's Jakub's season last year. I remember like watching it on Saturday with with a friend of mine. I told him, look, this is the first shot I saw Kuba take during his whole time with uh, with the Wolves. So I mean. Let's hope he plays better, but I don't think he's going to be a decisive player for us. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm still hopeful that uh, he gets uh, yeah something on the scoreboard. Maybe not against Dortmund, but uh, <laughs> e eventually. Um, yeah, the the question really is uh, yeah, what do you ex what kind of football you maybe expect in general from Andres Jonker? I mean, he he came in last year. He came in very late. Um, I think it was middle of January, some or not even even February, and he said, well, you know. We want to press, you know. We want to attack. We want to, you know, get the ball early in the on the other team's possession. Then we want to, you know, counterattack. And I was ecstatic when I when I read that because we didn't do that under, under Dieter Hacking. Uh, we didn't do it under Ismail. And um, like I said, I think that's the way we need to play. Um, and I think everybody basically plays that way in the Bundesliga, except for maybe Bayern Munich. So, um, but you know, when he came in, and I think it's very tough, you know, to implement a system when you come in that late in the season, and then. Especially, you know, to a team where stuff is not working out. Um, so I, I gave him a pass last year and I think he is, um, an excellent teacher of football. I mean, he was at Arsenal. I think he, he led the, the academy there. So, um, I hope that, that he can, you know, mold the young players this year to really, you know, play this style of football, you know, attack early, you know, press, you know, force the other guys to make mistakes and not, you know, just kind of just fall back, let them play their, their brand of football and get the ball and then try to score after like, I don't know, five minutes of possession. That's, that's not going to work. So, um, yeah, I hope he, he, he can teach these guys and, um, you know, and this takes time. So I expect this year that we are not going to play, you know, a, a really great, I think, first half of the season, but maybe, you know, start winning more games, you know, in the second part, you know, after Christmas, because I think, you know, then after like a second training camp there, he can really, you know, get to 
get through these guys and, and you know and, and have them do what he needs to them to do on the pitch. But uh, let's see. Um, what I saw against Norderstedt was the total opposite. So um, <laughs> the, the, the jury's still out, I guess. Yeah, well, it's it's still very early in the season. Um, but if if I hear or interpret this correctly, um, I think one of the criticisms about Wolfsburg was always that they have a lot of uh, individual skill but cannot form it into a team that they lack team chemistry and uh yeah some went even so far say that there are a lot of egos and mercenaries on the field so mm. is it maybe your hope from from what i hear that uh someone like uh Jonkers can actually build a, a team on the field there yeah i mean that's obviously um the first thing i think any coach has to do and any manager has to do the thing is in wolfsburg if you look at um after they won the championship in 2009 and, and magat came i think two years earlier it, it's basically been the same ever since you know um whoever's the coach if it was a maggot or if it was a hacking when a team when a coach comes into wolfsburg with a clean slate and then he gets his, his own kind of personnel in there maggot had i'm thinking his first year there was somewhere i don't know around the middle of the table then the second year we played um the europa league or europa cup i think was still back then and then they won the championship in a season where they totally overachieved and and, and you know Checo and Grafite and Mizimo, which they play, play the best season of their lives, I guess. But uh, after that, you know, people wanted to leave. You know, Barzali um, left. Um, Checo obviously left to, to City. Um, and then, you know, it kind of snowballed back then as well. And, and, and the club, you know, fell all the way down to the table until, you know, they had to stave off relegation, uh, I think, two or three seasons after that. And then Hacking came in, like I said, again, with a clean slate, built up a team, you know, and then they won the cup in, in 2015. Uh, they won that. The Bruyne wanted to leave the next year. The year after that, it was um, Draxler wanted to leave and other guys. And then, you know, they were they were they were almost relegated. So, my hope is that, that this is going to be like the first year, kind of like a a year where things settle down, where Reb and Yonkers can look at the squad and see, you know, who they want to work with, who of the young guys they feel are worth, you know, of starting uh, spot there, and and then you know, kind of get players, high character guys. Who come in, and I mean it's Wolfsburg, obviously. It's a small town, 150,000 people live there. So um, you got to get players in there who view this as their opportunity, you know, to take the next step, like De Bruyne did. I mean, De Bruyne came from, came from Chelsea, true, but you know, he hardly played there. Uh, he had a stint in, in Bremen before that, and was good, but not as good, obviously, as he was when he played in Wolfsburg. Um, Draxler, you know, made, made a huge leap, I think, um, not on the pitch <laughs> with the way he was playing, but you know. He went out to PSG after that, and uh, so hopefully, you know, they can identify some guys who want to be there a couple of years, you know, build up the team, and obviously you can get, earn decent money there as well. And then, you know, after two or three years, they go off to bigger and better things. But um, I think that's the way it has to be in Wolfsburg, and I hope Jonker and uh, and Rebel realize that and and going to try to build the team not with a couple of months of planning, but a couple of years in mind of just you know building this new team and. I mean, obviously they don't or they can't win the cup or the championship every two or three years. But, you know, have a team that reaches Europe in two or three years. I think that has to be the goal. Yeah, as, as my uh, neighbor started drilling now, <laughs> as he's uh, moving in, uh, maybe trying to deny me from asking this frivolous question. However, of course, I have to ask. Um, Volkswagen, of course, uh, uh, they have to pay a lot of uh, 
fines right now because of uh, yeah the scandals yeah. about the diesel and uh, obviously I have to ask um, will this have any impact on VfL Wolfsburg will there be less interest uh, in investing the team and do the Rebel and and Co maybe have to uh, yeah, realign their strategy a little bit in terms of spending going forward I mean obviously um, the whole um, diesel uh, diesel scandal is I think over a year old now and, and these questions were asked last year I think as well um, no I think um, Volkswagen has made it pretty clear that you know whatever happens um, with with the scandal there and whatever fines they have to pay that it won't really affect the way you know they going to support uh, their football club um, on the other end obviously you cannot go out sign a guy for like, like 30 million euros 50 million euros if you would You know, on the other hand, had to, I don't know, let workers go or whatever. But, I mean, nobody has been fired from Volkswagen. Um, it's not like uh, the company has, has, has some real trouble and, and has to keep the money together. And uh, I think one thing people don't realize is, I mean, Volkswagen is such a huge company. I mean, it's, it's Audi's in there, Skoda's in there, Seat is in there, um, Bugatti is in there. Like, it's, it's unbelievable, Audi. So, I mean... Let's say they invest. I've, I've, I've no number number made, but let's say they invest 150 million euros in, in 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 the club every year. I mean, to them, that's really I don't know. I think you know, it's like if with, with their next uh, golf model, if they you know find a way, I don't know, to to save like two screws on that golf model. You know, let, let's let's say they they have to you know, they they need two screws less to to build their golf from from next year on. I think they save. Maybe 100 million for that, you know, just, just for saving some, something on their cars. So, um, I think for them, it's still an important, uh, piece of their, of their marketing, uh, an important piece of, um, just really, you know, helping the city of Wolfsburg become an attractive city because obviously they want to attract, uh, bright people to work for Volkswagen. Obviously they, they not all live in Wolfsburg, but, you know, if you, if you have a team there, a good football team that it helps, it goes a long way, you know, to ensuring that the people in Wolfsburg uh, are behind Volkswagen as well and, um, Yeah, I think for them, it, it still pays off. Obviously, uh, the VfL got a lot of flag and still gets it, you know, from people saying there's no tradition there, which is not true. I mean, uh, the club was uh, founded in 1945, uh, played in the highest German league in the 60s. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of, uh, preconceptions, there, a lot of prejudice there. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the club, I think if they start, you know, to really, you know, Work on the team again, not trying, you know, to to force their way up the table. I think they're going to be all right, and the club's going to be all right, and I think Volkswagen's going to um, still pour money in there. Yeah, very interesting. And you just mentioned Wolfsburg is a very beautiful city. So, Dre, last question: If one ends up going to a Wolfsburg match, or maybe, uh, yeah, an away game in Wolfsburg, what is a must do in Wolfsburg on on match day? I think it depends when when you get in. Um, If you, if you just get in, you know, I think, think early on the day, um, you shouldn't really, I think you shouldn't go to the city center. It's just a generic city center, I guess. Uh, same shops everywhere. Um, there's the Autostadt, you know, which is like a auto themed theme park, uh, which Volkswagen built a couple of years ago. And if you're really into cars, just get in there, buy a ticket. I, I think it's, I think about like 10, 12 euros, whatever. Get in there. They don't, I mean, they have a lot of like, like, there's like a car museum in there, all the different types of brands of cars they have. They have their own little, uh, pavilion there. Um, they have some great restaurants in there you can eat. It's generally a pretty nice place to hang out and, uh, just, yeah, just chill before the game and then just walk over or just walk under, 
uh, one bridge and then you're right there at the arena. Um, if you want to chill, I mean, if it's in the summer or if it's warm, there's like a lake right right next to the um, right next to the arena. You can go there. There's just one or two restaurants. You can sit down, just look out on the lake, chill. There's like a wakeboard wakeboard park there right next to the arena where you can chill. And if they ask you, have like a little beach club there. So that's what I would do. I mean, if if you're in for, if you're in for, for a couple more days, um, yeah, I mean, you can just, you know, go on to Wolfsburg. De. There, there's a couple of uh, parts of the city which are rather old, like Fallersleben, which is like an older town, um, which has been, you know, swallowed by well, Wolfsburg, which is a very nice center with a little, some little old buildings there. Yeah, I mean, there's lots to see. All right. Cool. Dre, that, that would be all for now. Um, of course, I can't let you go without a prediction for the game. So what, what's your gut feeling saying? What's your head yeah, saying? I, I think <laughs> if uh, the listeners have made it so far there, they have a pretty good idea what, what I feel, what's going to happen on Sunday, uh, Saturday. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, you guys, they have your favorites. Um, judging for what happened last year, I think last year the game in Wolfsburg was, was 4-1 for you guys. I'd say... Yeah, but it could have Three. ended 5-5. Five, five. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, actually, it wasn't that game. So, um, but yeah, I'd say three to one. I mean, I think Gomez is going to get his goal. <laughs> maybe, maybe he starts scoring a little earlier this season than he did last year. Um, but I feel like our center backs, are just, they're just too inexperienced, uh, especially playing together. Um, they're going to make a couple of mistakes. I think, um, you guys are much farther along your path of you know, preparation. So, yeah, three to one. We're going to give you a couple of easy ones. We're going to get one lucky goal where somebody just hits Gomez in the head and it just goes over the line. And, um, and yeah, and then off you go to the Champions League. And um, we hopefully can make the best of a pretty easy first couple of weeks. But uh, I wouldn't bet on that either so far. Well, we are pre-recording this interview because uh, the uh, actual show will be recorded on Thursday. However, uh, if you maybe want to have a bit more of an optimistic view on the game as a Facebook supporter, you might want to listen to the whole podcast then because I have a hunch <laughs> that uh, the panel overall will be, will be a little bit more pessimistic about Dortmund's chances considering uh, yeah, there but, are but see, but see you guys, factors. you are in a perfect position. You can always be pessimistic. And I mean, nothing. that's the whole Dembele issue and Aubameyang issue. But as long as they play, I think you're going to be right against Wolfsburg. But well, Dembele is not going to play. <laughs> Well, yeah, obviously not going to play, but um, obviously I see certain parallels to our season last year. So I, th I think you know if Dembele has to stay, if Aubameyang has to stay, and they don't want to be there, that can be a problem. But I think you guys will be all right. I think because you have a lot of guys there who are maybe not ready to you know really you know take the next step, but you can just plug them in, and, and they're gonna they're gonna function for you guys. We didn't have that last year. And I think the culture on the on the team is much better than we did than we had last year. So. I mean, that's the reason, obviously, to worry as a Dortmund fan right now, but I wouldn't worry too much. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I certainly am not going to give my prediction away now, but I will predict a very entertaining game because I think uh, there will be mistakes on both sides and does make it a little bit chaotic, but also fun. I don't know. I, I like the first games of the season because uh, they're not always too organized. And we've seen it at the start of the Premier League. Uh, you know, it's a lot of back and forth and, you know, goals tend to pour in. And well, I like true, yeah. football. So, um, yeah, thanks again, Dre. I would ask you to uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet and uh, read and listen to all your fantastic work. Uh, maybe just easiest, easiest to just follow me on Twitter. It's at Dre Vogt, D R E V O I G T. Uh, and from there you get 
to my podcast, you get yeah, to my website, whatever. So yeah, just just follow me on Twitter. It's the easiest. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, maybe listen to Sportradio 360. Oh yeah, that as well. Yeah. Which is uh, also a very very good show for the German listeners out here. Well, that would that would be all for now. Dre, thank you very much for giving us some insights, and uh, I hope we'll yeah listen and hear from you maybe further down the season when uh, it's just a new year. Yeah, thanks for having me, and just for the record, I hope I was totally wrong today. <laughs> Thanks again, Andre Vogt. And we are back now to give our own two cents on Borussia Dortmund's first match day, which will take place at the Volkswagen Arena in Wolfsburg on Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m. or 3.30 p.m. kickoff local time. And uh, yeah, I don't know how is the general sense for this game Matthias, do you feel like there's a euphoria at the club like every year at Schalke when they enter a season? Or I don't know, how what what are you sensing going uh with Dortmund fans going into the season? Do you think they're hyped or pumped? I think there's always a certain level of uh, positive anticipation in Dortmund, but you know, with the thing happening with Dembele, obviously with bringing in a new manager. Um, even though I would say if the Dembele thing hadn't happened, I'd say the overall mood's a little more positive because we didn't lose, um, you know, three marquee players, uh, like, <laughs> like we did ahead of last season. Uh, so the Dembele drama is really detracting a little bit from that, uh, positivity, but overall, I think it's, it's, it's a mood of, Wait and see uh, to see how it how it goes with Bosch in the beginning. The good thing is we're starting off against a Wolfsburg side that, in my opinion, are not very good. Yeah, they are a little bit depleted, and I guess we can talk about that in a second. But Lars, uh, how long do you think Borussia Dortmund's euphoria, if there's any, will last? Well, I don't know that there is any, so... Uh, I don't know how something that doesn't exist can't can't last very long. I mean, um, I think some people seem to take Wolfsburg a bit too lightly. Not that Wolfsburg are a great side, but there's certainly some individual talent in there. And for for everyone who's seen Dortmund's preseason games, uh, most of the Super Cup and even the Pokal match against a uh, vastly inferior side. There's not not a lot of things that that uh, lead to euphoria, in in my opinion. I mean, it's very much a work in progress. Obviously, we knew with a new coach coming in, and certainly uh, one who has a bit of a history of uh, slow starts. That you know, the early parts of the season might be a bit tough, both results wise and tough to watch. Even uh, certainly uh, missing Dembele doesn't help in that regard. But uh, you know, it's the first match day of the season, and 
I think Wolfsburg may not be a great side, but certainly uh, are capable of doing some damage to Dortmund. I don't, I don't think people are uh, taking them seriously enough uh, right now. So uh, if there's euphoria, that may well be over by uh, 5.20 on Saturday. And then you have a home game against Hertha, who have kept... Apart from Brooks, their squad together added some important pieces uh, and uh, have the the one thing that Dortmund don't have, and that's consistency. So uh, it's it's a much more difficult start to the Bundesliga campaign than than many realize. I think so. Um, I wouldn't be too shocked to see Dortmund in a bit of a bind uh, come the first international break. Yeah, I have, a, I have a similar feeling that the first two games will end in a draw for Dortmund and yeah, kind of uh, be an underwhelming start. Matthias, um, someone who will start, or actually, or I don't know if he will, but he can start, is uh, Mario Götze. He has been declared fit today. Uh, does that make you happy? Oh, of course, of course. I mean, he's uh, when he's fit, He's one of the best German players. Uh, he's obviously one of the best Dortmund players. Uh, if he is fit and plays very well, I think that'll quickly uh, diminish some of the negativity around the Dembele saga. So, no, I'm I'm very excited. I I hope he's gotten over those health issues uh, that are not to be underestimated. Uh, so, no, it's fantastic. Yeah, I I'm happy too. <laughs> I think uh, it's important right now, actually, for Dortmund to have Götz on the field um, because he is the sort of player that can link the yeah attack and defense in, in midfield a little bit. And uh, with the lack of so-called automatism or, I don't know, any structure whatsoever, because I haven't been really convinced by Dortmund's build-up structure at all, I think Dortmund still needs a little bit creative spark in midfield, and Götze can certainly provide that. And uh, yeah, I wonder if uh, we'll see uh, Schein Götze Dahu trying a little midfield, or yeah, maybe Castro instead of Götze. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he will start. Um, definitely out for this game will be Marcel Schmelzer because he's still injured and couldn't quite make it. Also, uh, Jan Niklas Beste, who uh, yeah. Did okay, I guess, in, in preseason. Uh, will join the under 19 at the weekend. So that, I guess, leaves us with Zagadou and Paslak, or I don't know, any other alternative. Of course, there's Drew Park, but I don't know if Peter Bosch has discovered him yet. So, Lars, what do you think will be the uh, solution for the left back spot as a stopgap while Schmelzer is out? Yeah, I think it's Zagadou uh, going by preseason. Uh, Pastak has only played, uh, what was it, like 15 minutes in the Super Cup. And as Matthias said earlier, didn't do particularly well uh, with that idiotic rush challenge against uh, Kimmich, was it, for the second goal. Um, so uh, if Pastak is even still a Dortmund player come Saturday afternoon, uh, we we don't know that. And, and for those that believe uh, Toljan can come right in, no, he can't with like one training session with the team that's not going to happen so I think it's Zagadou by default uh, he's presumably going up against uh, our old friend uh, Jakub Wojcikowski on Wolfsburg's right wing and you know Kuba gotten a bit old not the 
quick kind of winger he used to be. So I think Zagadou might just be okay. Uh, Wolfsburg likely playing with uh, Paul Fahak at right back, who's even older than Kuba and not as not exactly fleet of foot himself. So I don't think uh, we'll see, you know, Zagadou struggle as much, uh, you know, with pace uh, against Wolfsburg, but obviously his positioning out wide isn't great. He just doesn't have the experience for it. And certainly uh, if Zagadou plays, that's going to be a spot Wolfsburg will attack or at least try to attack uh, regardless of, you know, Kuba and Fahak playing on the right side nominally. I think Didavi or Mali or whoever's going to be the number 10 behind Mario Gomez will certainly drift out uh, right from Wolfsburg's perspective just to, you know, keep chipping away at Zagadou's confidence uh, with every lost duel, uh, an 18-year-old making his first Bundesliga start at an unfamiliar position might, might just be uh, susceptible to making mistakes. So uh, I don't think Dortmund have a great solution uh, in their squad with Schmelzer unavailable. So uh, Zagadou will have to do. And, you know, I'm I'm not convinced he will be able to, but then again, there's not much uh, choice. So he kind of kind of has to be thrown into the deep end and let's see whether he can swim. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, Matthias. Uh Going up against Wolfsburg without the left back is at the worst possible time because Wolfsburg, yeah, put a lot of focus on wing play. Well, yeah, I mean, granted, uh, they're also not as strong, I would say, this season as they were in seasons past. Uh, that's a clear weakness uh, that if I were Wolfsburg and Jonka, I would say that's pretty much we're, we're just going to attack that side all match long and kind of see what happens. Uh, also, because I don't see Zagadou having much cover defensively ahead of him. Um, granted, if you put Pulisic out there, he can work back a little bit. And, you know, he's he at least tries really hard defensively. Um, obviously, that's the glaring weakness in the squad ahead of this match, but I, I don't, I don't know if it's enough of a glaring weakness that, it, that it would cost Dortmund points. I think overall Wolfsburg have more weak spots, uh, than Dortmund. And this is really the one where I look at Dortmund and go, mm, yeah, we need to figure out a, a cover solution for that one. Yeah. I mean, Wolfsburg themselves, uh, are without Anthony Brooks and Jeffrey Bruma in, uh, central defense, which is also a big blow, especially Brooks, who has always done well against Dortmund. Well, not always, but in most games. Um, so Lars, how do you think the very first lineup for a competitive game, if I may say that, uh, will look like in 2017, 2018 under a newly installed coach Peter Bosch? It's Roman Bürki in goal, Lukas Piszczek at right back, Sokrates and Batra in central defense, Zagadou at left back, Nuri Shahin at the base of midfield, Gonzalo Castro and Mario Götze, the two number eights. I think Dahoud has done okay, but uh, Götze is the, the better option if he's, you know, fully available for the game. And I think Dahoud needs some more training sessions with the team. Uh, the wings play themselves because uh, there are so many injuries and Dembele and more seem to be unavailable or uh, I mean Dembele is unavailable I think more will be too because he's not 
been back in normal team training, I don't think. So it's uh, Pulisic and uh, Philip, and then up front, Alexander Isak, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think Peter Bush said today that more actually is available, but uh, yeah, I'm not really. I think he, he, he I think he was talking more generally. Yeah. You know, if Dembele goes, can you rely on more and? Uh, not talking about this one game. Even if he were, I don't think he would start over Philip uh, and Pulisic anyway. Yeah. Any objections with that, Mr. Zook? Um, no, and it's hard to object since I don't really think we have many alternatives. Well, I think it was Michael Sork who said that Dahoud can also play on a sixth position instead of Shaheen. I don't know if I would go for it, but uh, that's One option, I guess, to have a Dahoud gets a Castro midfield, for example. Not if you want to win. All right. <laughs> so I guess I guess uh, that lineup is set in stone. Although there's uh, one Shinji Kagawa. Um, he, of course, plays very well on the number 10 position and also has shown some quality as a number 8. Uh, Lars, how do you see his season going in uh, Peter Bosch's system? because there's not a real number 10 in there. Yeah, what there really hasn't been for quite some time. Uh, Tuchel rarely, if ever, played with a true number 10. Uh, I mean, in his first season, that brilliant 4-1-4-1 had like two number 10s, I would say, but, uh, you know, not the 4-2-3-1 number 10 that Kagawa probably plays best. Um, he won't start against Wolfsburg because he's only played like 30 minutes or even if even that uh, in the cup so he wasn't available throughout preseason friendlies um, generally speaking I think he'll be fine uh, if he's up to the level uh, he achieved in the second half of last season he should be one of the most important players on the team I think we talked a lot in the uh, Rückrunde about Kagawa's resurgence He earned himself a nice contract extension. Um, Bosch likes, I'm, I'm sure he will like, rather the um, counter-pressing abilities of Kagawa, his intelligence in counter-pressing more so than his ball-winning uh, abilities. Um, so I, yeah, I think Kagawa will be just fine with with him, Götze and Dahoud. I think Gonzalo Castro is going to have a tough time seeing the field in important games but um you know that's that's fine by me because uh, Castro uh, as regular listeners know is not necessarily a favorite of of mine and I think of the entire panel simply because he's so unreliable and and lacks consistency despite being often one of the or or the single uh, oldest player on on the pitch for Dortmund yeah i mean he he has his good games but yeah sometimes he goes Missing entirely. Um, so, Matthias, how do you see this game go in a yeah general sense? Do you do you foresee a very hectic, chaotic match with uh, a lot of goals on both ends, or I don't know? Do you see more like a stalemate? What what is your hunch for this match? Um. Well, my hunch would be Dortmund control possession um, a lot and uh, press Wolfsburg a lot, uh, hinder them on any real constructive build-up play. So you'll see them obviously being more counter-attacking focused, 
on the wings. So uh, I don't think it's going to be a very high-scoring match. Uh, I think there will be a winner, and I think that winner will be Dortmund. I don't see it necessarily being a draw. Um, but I'm uh, something like a 2-0 seems about right for me. Well, if Dortmund... Well, if Wolfsburg play any way they played last time Dortmund and Wolfsburg faced each other, which was a 3-0 win at the Westfalenstadion for Dortmund, then it's probably going to be 5-0 or 6-0 because Wolfsburg were absolutely shocking that day. They were completely non-existent. Um, so with uh, Matthias already starting the predictions, and I guess the 2-0 is a valid prediction. Uh, Lars, why don't you go ahead and give your... Well, well, you mentioned the last meeting uh, in Dortmund. I can mention the last meeting in Wolfsburg, which was a 5-1 win for Dortmund, which absolutely flattered to receive. Uh, I think Wolfsburg arguably a better side. Dortmund had a lot of luck. Berkey with a ridiculous uh, double or triple save against Mario Gomez when uh, Gomez wasn't scoring goals. Uh, Gomez is scoring goals under Andres Jonker, uh, being made the club captain even now. Um As I alluded to earlier, I think it's a more difficult game than many people realize. So I'm going for a relatively drab in terms of Dortmund's performance, uh, 1-1 draw. All right, I can double that last because I predict a 2-all draw. So <laughs> there we go. I hope Matthias is right because, uh, yeah, I don't know. If Dortmund have a bad start to the season, this... Uh, Yeah, whole atmosphere at the club can go south very quickly. I feel that that's, things are still kind of fickle after Tuchel left and all the drama that had last season and uh, with the ongoing drama and Dembele right now. So we'll see because right now, as, as Bush said, things are still very calm within the club. There seems to be a lot of, uh, yeah, harmony between Bosch and, uh, Zorg and Watzke, but, uh, I guess results may affect that quite a bit going forward. So, um, Matthias, I already uh, looked a little bit into the crystal ball and said, hmm, maybe the first two games won't go too well for Dortmund. Of course, I may be wrong because Dortmund have so much quality that they can win any match on any given day. You know, they just need to have a good day, but, you know, that's not always the case for Dortmund. So, looking... A little bit more in general at the Bundesliga for Dortmund. Where do you see them finish? Of course, their uh, target is direct Champions League qualification and uh, with new rules, uh, fourth place would already do that this year. So, um, yeah, where do you see Dortmund finish and uh, who do you think are the main competitors? Um, well, I think, you know, I mean, with a new manager, you kind of have to wait and see. Uh, Bush's sides tend to, in his first season, start rather slowly. So I'm gonna go <clears throat> with Dortmund finishing second. Um, I think Bayern, it's still theirs to win or lose. And as far as main competitors, hmm, I probably shouldn't say this because they don't have a good track record, but I'm gonna have, I'm, I'm gonna go with Schalke as as a uh, strong competitor. I think Leipzig will be there thereabouts, and after that, maybe Gladbach. But I just I don't have a lot of confidence in Hecking, so 
I would say Dortmund in second and, and possibly a tight fight there with Leipzig and with Schalke. And I think Bayern aren't going to be world worlds ahead of everybody this season either. So I think it'll be a much tighter top four than we have had in the last few seasons. Yeah, would be nice for once, wouldn't it, if the Bundesliga had a proper title race for once. I don't know if it pans out that way or not. Um, last, like Matthias, I've heard and read many people tipping Schalke to be among the top three or top four. Is that a huge jinx or do you also think that uh, things are finally looking upward for the blue neighbors? I, th I think they are looking up. Um, they have a have an exciting coach uh, with good ideas uh, tactically. They don't have to maneuver any kind of European football this season, which uh, at the end of a campaign is always bad, but at the start of a campaign is certainly a blessing uh, because playing one game every seven, six or eight days is, is a lot different to playing one game every three or four days. So I, I do believe Schalke, who have a good squad, uh, certainly their, their first 11, if, if, if everyone's healthy, I think their first 11 isn't much worse than all first 11s but Dortmund and Bayern. Um, so, you know, obviously such a season is always long. Their, their head coach doesn't have a lot of experience at the top level. He's only been the head coach of a senior team for what, three months or so at Erzgebirge Aue, which is a club most of our listeners will never have heard of. So there's there's obviously some uh, level of mystery as to how well he can maneuver a long season with a uh, with a club as turbulent as Schalke often are. But I'm, if I were a Schalke fan, and thank God I'm not, but uh, if I were, I, I'd be looking at this season fairly optimistically and certainly more optimistically I would say than uh, as a Dortmund fan because I'm not overly convinced uh, of Dortmund's chances to take their rightful place if you like uh, you know second or maybe even third after Leipzig I think Dortmund are going to be in for a pretty good fight to come in fourth with the likes of Schalke maybe even Gladbach who have some of the same qualities as Schalke with uh, without European football this season, even though I, I share the concerns about Dieter Hacking, obviously. Um, so I, I think there's a good chance, especially if Dembele goes, I, I could easily see Dortmund coming in fifth. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not overly convinced of anything Dortmund has produced so far. And, and knowing uh, that Dortmund might, might have a, a slow start to the season, they might be in too big a hole, certainly for the first two spots in the season, I think. Yeah, so your final and ultimate prediction for Dortmund to finish in the table this season. If they lose Dembele, I'm going to say Dortmund will miss the Champions League. And if they keep him? They will make the Champions League. Uh, <laughs> and what spot? Third or fourth. Jeez. <laughs> they're, they're somewhere between third, fourth and fifth, I think. So, um, yeah, my prediction is uh, a third place finish for Dortmund. I uh, still see Leipzig and Bayern fare a little bit better. And I I don't know. I think Schalke will, will finish fourth. I think they make it back to the Champions League. I have my doubts with, with Gladbach and uh, having Ginter in central defense. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, 
Hoffenheim. I, I think Hoffenheim actually still will have a very good campaign, although they lost Rudi and, and Zule just because uh, I think Julian Nagelsmann is a very uh, capable coach. But with Europa League football, uh, yeah, they're probably not going to finish fifth or higher. So, um, yeah, third place again for Dortmund is my prediction. So, um, yeah, if they win the Champions League, uh, the, the Champions League, the Championship, then uh, we are all wrong and get zero points in our prediction game. So, Matthias, is there anything else you want to discuss? Or should we just knock it on the head yet? Uh, no. Uh, I think that covers it uh, for now. I'm sure it'll everything we talked about transfer-wise, at least when Debele is concerned, will already be uh, out of date in 24 hours as it was last week. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that covers everything for now. All right, perfect. Then, Lars, anything to add? Uh, this will be the Christian Pulisic season at Dortmund. Yeah. I think that's a very fair prediction. Um I don't I don't know, Matthias. Have you read anything that would suggest otherwise anywhere? Because I think everyone is really pumped for Pulisic, especially now with Dembele maybe gone. Well the only thing that keeps on being said is that uh Pulisic is gonna go to Liverpool, uh if Coutinho yeah, goes. Right. Uh but <laughs> he he's not going anywhere. Uh, that's that's not happening this season. So, no, I mean, I know everybody over here is really excited to see how Pulisic does. I mean, he is a generational player for U.S. soccer. Um, I can't – I'm trying to think of anybody – honestly, that anybody that comes close to combining his talent, his drive, especially at his age – Dempsey doesn't cl come close. Landon Donovan doesn't even come near him. And, uh, you know, everybody else has pretty much fizzled out uh, that was ever talked about in that way. So uh, a lot of a lot of U.S. soccer hopes are on the shoulders of Christian Pulisic. And so I think ahead of a World Cup, I think he's going to be doing quite, quite well for Dortmund this season. All right. I agree. And with it, it's time to do the little outro. So Lars, you go first and tell people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, they can get good prediction content at Lars Polman on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, on, and soon you would say also good ratings. <laughs> um, Matthias? Well, you can find inconsistent uh, prediction performance on Twitter at Matthias Suk. Okay, and you can find no prediction performance on Twitter at Stefan Bosco because uh, I shy away from that, as Lars already mentioned. I'm not the best at it, although I'm sometimes a little cocky. Um, otherwise, you can find the show, of course, at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook and on yellowwallpot.com is where you can find our written content, which we have revamped a little bit towards the beginning of the season and uh, where you can also find all the ways to subscribe to this show, which is still iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you want to support our show with some uh, dollars, then you can do that on patreon.com slash theyellowwall, which is always much appreciated. And yeah, thanks again to you guys, Lars Matthias, for joining me. And of course, Dre Vogt. That's all for now. Until next week, goodbye.